You know, pictures, portraits are powerful. Up in my office, I've got some family photos that are probably from almost 10 years ago uh, now. It was a Christmas gift that Amber did. She, she took some family photos and put it on a piece of plywood and decoupaged it, and I've mounted it on my, my wall. And I just I love looking at those, those uh, pictures, you know. One of my kids was asking me this week, like, Dad, what did you look like as a baby? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, I'm not sure what I look like as a baby. Next time we're at Grandma and Grandpa's, we're going to have to get the photo albums out. You know, I was in the generation of printed photos when I was a baby, right? You know, and so, but portraits, they, they just take a moment of time and they're able to bring that memory, that remembrance. And, and tonight we're going to look at three portraits, three pictures of faith. And the first is a centurion, and he's an example of faith. And then we see John the Baptist, who is struggling in faith. And then finally, we see a woman, we don't have her name, but she is an expression of faith. She, she chooses to express her faith to the Lord. In verse 1, it says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. A certain centurion. A centurion is a Roman officer. And actually in the scriptures in the New Testament, we see a lot of centurions that are spoken well of. And this is one as well. And he's an example of faith. So if you're taking down notes, write down faith's example. And he cares deeply for his servants. And one particular servant that that he loved is dead. And this shows the character of this centurion, this Roman officer. He doesn't have to care for this servant. It's not the normal custom for Roman officers to care for their servant, but he cared for his servant. And the way that we treat the people around us says a lot about us, doesn't it? The way we treat our families, the way we treat our coworkers. If you're in a position of authority, how you treat those that work with you and underneath you. And, and so it shows a lot of this centurion's character that he loves, he cares for this servant. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. Obviously, as a centurion in Capernaum, he's connected with the elders of the city. So he sends the elders to Jesus And they're pleading, hey, come to the centurion's house because his servant is sick. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So they're saying, hey, Jesus, when you're thinking about doing miracles, don't leave out this centurion because he cares for us. He has built us a synagogue. We would really like it for you to honor his request. The attitude of the centurion is very different, though. He doesn't feel that he is deserving of Jesus to do this miracle. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourselves, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So here the elders are saying, hey, this guy's really deserving of a miracle. But the centurion's saying, I don't even deserve for Jesus to come into my house. He understands his sin. He also understands the majesty of Christ. He understands who he's dealing with. And he's in awe of Christ saying, no, 
I don't even deserve for Christ to be able to come into my house. You could write a lot, you could teach a lot, you could study a lot, the awe of God. Those that understand who God is tend to be in awe of God and it results in a humility. It's the opposite of this entitlement mentality. When we think of faith's example, it's making much of God. It's understanding who he is, understanding our sin and going, I'm not worthy of anything from the Lord. I'm not worthy for the Lord to even come into my house. I'm I'm not worthy to be in God's house with, with God's people. And this was coming from a heart of sincerity. In verse seven, therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. So it wasn't that he was trying to cause someone else to do his work to go to Jesus for him. He didn't think that he was worthy to to go to Jesus himself. But say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion has faith that Jesus doesn't have to come into the house. All Jesus needs to do is speak the word and his servant is going to be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority. Isn't that interesting? Here's this centurion who has a lot of authority, but he sees himself as being a person under authority. And that's so important for all of us, is to realize that we are under authority, to place ourselves under authority. This centurion goes, I know what it is to to have a boss. We want to be under God's authority, first and foremost. I'm not my own boss. I'm not the master of my own destiny. Jesus is my Lord. And God has put authority in my life. And I'm going to submit to that authority. And it may be a boss that God has put into our life. It may be government that God has put into our life. As long as that authority is not asking us to disobey God, we want to honor the authority that he's put in our life. Now, that's a whole other thing if the authority is wanting us to disobey the Lord. Then we're like, nope, I'm going to go with the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. Do you you see yourself as being a person under authority? How we respond to authority also says a lot about our character. How we treat those around us says a lot, but also how we respond to authority. So we're learning about this centurion. He's a man of character. He sees himself under authority having soldiers under me. So he's under authority, but he also has authority. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is military culture, right? And I don't understand this fully. I've never been in the military, but when you're in the military, it's yes, sir, isn't it? It's like, yep, you have given me this command. I'm going to do it. It's not this atmosphere of like, well, I think you're wrong here. Like, that was really not the right command. I, I think you should really give me a, another command. No, you have that position of, of authority, so, so I'm going to do it. And, and so here, the centurion's saying, I understand that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And Jesus has the power to do this. So if Jesus speaks it, then that's it. It's, it's settled. Now, notice Christ's response. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. <laughs> not too many times in the Gospels that we see Jesus marveled. Jesus is blown away here. Jesus is blessed and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great a faith, not even in Israel. 
this would be a slap in the face to the scribes and the Pharisees. These elders of Capernaum, of the Jewish community that were, were known for faith. And here Jesus lifts up the centurion and says, I haven't found such faith, not even in Israel, and I found it in a centurion officer because he understands that I'm the authority. And he understands that when I speak, that I'm going to follow through with, with my word. And so that's why this centurion is that example of faith. In verse 10, and those who were sent returned to the house, found the servant well who had been sick, just as Jesus had said. So what can we learn from this centurion? We can learn a whole, whole lot about character, but we also learn about faith. To say, am I going to trust the, the word of God? Now, you've heard me warn about this from time to time. It's not twisting the scriptures to where I'm believing in God and I'm going to get everything that I want. That's making God in my own image. That's making God to be a genie in the sky where, okay, if I just have enough faith, then I'm going to name it and claim it. And this is the year that I'm going to make my million dollars and healthy, wealthy, and wise and never get sick and all those kind of things. I, I don't think that that lines up with scripture. God allows suffering in our lives. So what does it mean to have faith in the Lord? Well, it's to trust him. It's to trust his character. It's to trust his word and to trust his will. Yes, it's important to ask for healing and believe that God can do it, but also trust him if God chooses not to heal. Here's the application for us with the centurion. When you read the promise of God in scripture, you can believe it because it's coming from the ultimate authority. That's why with the gospel... We can trust the gospel and know that we have salvation. Amen? We take Jesus at his word. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Awfully simple, isn't it? Deeply profound. But as you believe in Jesus, then you have everlasting life. Brother and sister in Christ, how do you know you're saved? Well, because you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, his death and resurrection. We hold on to promises like Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those that love God who are the called according to his purpose. Doesn't feel like it. I maybe haven't seen it yet, but I know the word of God and God's word is the ultimate authority. We read in Hebrews chapter 13 where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We hold on to that. Okay, Lord, this is your word and you are the ultimate authority. By your word, you spoke the world into existence. So I know that you're with me, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. There's not going to be a day as a believer on this planet that I'm going to be alone. Jesus, the lover of my soul, the King of Kings is with me. And that honors the Lord. In Hebrews, it tells us that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Faith is really important to the Lord. When we trust him, God, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your character. I'm trusting your word. I'm believing in you. The Lord goes, wow, I find that to be refreshing. You know, thank you for trusting me. Like imagine you're trying to give a gift to someone and they're like, you know, I just don't know that you really have the financial resources to do that. Like, here's the Christmas gift. And they're like, I'm not going to open it because I don't think there's anything inside of it. Like, you really can't afford 
to put that gift in the box. Or you invite them out to lunch. And you're like, I got this. And you're like, do you really? Do you, do you, really, you got this? Like, can you afford this? Like, I'm, I think I've got this, right? And you're like, shut up. Just let me buy you lunch, right? You know, it's like, come on. And I think the Lord sometimes is like, really? You're doubting my character? You're, you're, you're doubting my ability to follow through? We also find not only faith's example, but faith's struggle. And that's with John the Baptist. Let's jump down to verse 18. This is our, our second portrait. It's our second picture. Verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. Now, if you're following the flow of the text of chapter 7, you know that Jesus raises the son of the widow. And this is what now is being shared to John the Baptist. Now, where's John the Baptist at this point? He's in prison. We know that from chapter 6. And you would think that this would be affirmation to John that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. But John has a different response. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? We studied this in depth a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 6 and talking about doubt in prison. But we're reminded as we're here once again how quickly that doubt can enter into our hearts. What was going on specifically in John the Baptist's heart and mind, we don't know. But he probably didn't expect to be in prison. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's hearing that Jesus is doing all of these amazing miracles, including raising from the dead. And I can't help but think that John the Baptist is going, what am I doing here in prison? <laughs> Jesus could easily do a jailbreak. John the Baptist knows that. He could roll right in and be like, John, you're out of prison. Let's show up Herod right now. The reason John's in prison is because he's calling Herod out on his sexual sin. But in this moment, he's struggling. And he's wrestling with faith. And there's times that we do wrestle with faith and we wrestle with trust. As, as simple as it is to have the response of the centurion of, God, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's where we are some of the time. But other times, unfortunately, we are in the place of John the Baptist. And I'm so thankful that God records this for us. I'm so thankful that John the Baptist had the courage to ask of the Lord, to share his doubt with the Lord. And if you're in that place where you find your faith struggling, share it with the Lord. It could be pretty embarrassing for John the Baptist to have sent this message via the messengers, but he doesn't care. He's willing to risk it. He's willing to put himself out there. And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits and to many blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended or stumble because of me. These miracles that Jesus are doing 
our fulfillment of messianic prophecies. They're affirmations, proof that Jesus is the Messiah, that John the Baptist got it absolutely right. As wonderful as this is, who stays in prison? John. And that's faith's test. Sometimes God in his faithfulness, as the ultimate authority, as the King of Kings, as the Messiah, will allow us to stay in prison, to allow us to stay in that difficulty. And then we wrestle with these words that Jesus says, hey, you're blessed if you're not offended because of me. If you don't trip, if you don't stumble because of my ways in your life. I know that probably some of you have come into some difficulties in your life that may be for the rest of your life. Now, God may intervene and he may change that, but the trajectory seems that, hey, this is going to be the lot that I'm going to have in this life. You know, someone gets diagnosed with a chronic disease. Now, God could heal, but it could be the difficulty that they carry with them Till they go home to be with the Lord. Maybe you've gone through a divorce that you didn't want and your spouse has rejected you and walked away from the Lord. And yes, there's going to be redemption and there's a future and a hope, but there's some pain there that lasts for the rest of your life. There's a prison. There's a, there's a difficulty that results from that. And it causes us uh, to struggle. Many of you know, some of you may not know if you're newer to the church. In March of 2020, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And at that point, I was really sick and didn't know it. And it was terrible timing. March, April 2020. It was April 17th that I ended up having to go into uh, the hospital. It was the toughest time that I had ever had as a pastor. Because everything was coming down the pipe that month of... What do you do? Should you have service? Should you not have service? There's a lot of decisions that we make as pastors that are difficult, but they're in the realm of pastoring. All of a sudden, we are being faced with decisions that we were not used to having to make. I was making those decisions with our executive team of pastors, our leadership team of pastors, our elders, and I was incredibly sick, but didn't know it. I was drinking all the time and never satisfying, having these leg, leg cramps and other symptoms that were going on. And, and now knowing that I'm a type 1 diabetic, it's like, oh yeah, you, you have type 1 diabetes. But no one in my family has it, and it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your, your pancreas. And get this phone call from the doctor after some blood work, and he's like, this is a life or death emergency. You need to go to the hospital. And I was like, didn't expect that. So on a Saturday morning, I'm I'm driving, Amber's driving me over to the hospital. She can't go into the hospital because of COVID. I did get great care because nobody else was at the hospital, right? <laughs> the hospital was absolutely empty. And as a pastor, we spend time at the hospital. And, and I had been at Memorial North a lot doing pastoral visits. I visited people in the room that, that, I, that I was in and trying to get my mind over well, what does this mean and going to need insulin the rest of my life and, and those type of things. And I entered into my own prison. I entered into my own uh, difficulty. And God was very gracious in that season of being alone in the hospital for a couple of days to just speak his word over me. I, it wasn't necessarily like I was 
recalling verses to mind, but the Holy Spirit was just speaking these verses into my heart, and he was, he was very near to me. But I entered into a, a struggle over the next six months, over the next year, even over the, the next two years of adjusting to this new life. And, and God's been really gracious. I'm, by God's grace, I've been really healthy. And, and, you know, an insulin pump is an amazing tool to have and a continuous blood meter and, and all of those, those things. And was able to run a half marathon October 1st, which was a, a huge answer uh, to prayer. Um, but... You know, I'd like to tell you through that difficulty that I was always soaring on the wings of faith, but it wasn't the case. You know, there were some times where I was definitely bouncing off of the bottom. And even being able to look back now, almost three years later, is realizing, okay, that, that probably affected me more than I realized. You know, and there was some mourning and some grief that, that I was walking through and God was, was ministering to my heart. And if you're going through one of those seasons and you're in that, that place of, of prison, of difficulty, and, and you're struggling in your, in your faith like, like John the Baptist, first is I want to encourage you that that is human. It turns out you're human, right? John the Baptist is, is human, and we're going to have, have those struggles. But Jesus in his faithfulness, he does want to come and meet us in that place and get us to that place of trust. And I, I believe that John the Baptist got there. I think that John heard the words of Jesus and he's like, okay, Jesus, I, I'm gonna trust you. Even if it means that I'm still gonna be in prison. Because he continued to speak God's message. Herod would call him in and wanna hear. He didn't back down from God's message. Ultimately, he got martyred and he ended in faithfulness. This is not the kind of story that we would write, but it's the kind of story that God would write. So God is compassionate, he's gracious, and he's merciful, and he lovingly wants to move us to that place of faith, that place of trust, that place of, Lord, you are faithful, you're good, and I'm going to trust you. Faith doesn't necessarily always change the outcome of the circumstance. Like, it didn't change John the Baptist getting out of prison, but it will change how we go through the circumstance. Does that make sense? So, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And that is a really important, important process to go through with the Lord. Well, lastly, let's look at faith's expression. The woman who risks a lot to come and worship Jesus in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, who knew who she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. So pretty cool. A Pharisee is saying, Jesus, come over to my house. Come have a meal with me. We don't know what his motivation was. And here, a woman in town who is a sinner hears that Jesus is over at the Pharisee's house. And she comes in with an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them away with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. This takes guts. Her faith is being expressed. Faith's expression. So we see faith's example. We see faith's struggle. But now faith's expression. She is so moved by Jesus 
that she is willing to take this fragrant oil, put it upon his feet, and she's moved to the place where she's weeping. And her tears are washing the feet of Jesus, and she's wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet. I mean, this is an amazing expression of love to Jesus. You know, I think about when Jesus first got a hold of my life. Man, I was just in love with Jesus. And I wanted to express my love to Jesus. I wanted to tell other people about what Jesus had done in my life. And we don't want to lose that first love with the Lord. And a lot of times we have to go back to that place. But she's just in love with Jesus and she's expressing it. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisees going, man, if he only knew, if he only knew that this woman was a sinner, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. If he truly was a prophet, if, if there was something supernatural about him, he would, he would know this. And Jesus answered and said to him, to the Pharisee, the Pharisee's name is Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said to him, teacher, say it. Jesus was reading his thoughts. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is an average day's wage. So 500 days of work versus 50 days of work. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So both are forgiven. One is forgiven more than the other. And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned and said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And this really gets to the heart of faith. And as we look at these pictures, these portraits of faith, when we trust the gospel, when we trust that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, we're forgiven. And when we understand how much Jesus has forgiven us, what flows naturally is to love, to love Jesus. It's not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. Amen? Amen. He loved us when we didn't want to have anything to do with him. He loved us when we are filthy in sin. And so for us to have the weight lifted of our sin, go, oh Lord, I'm, I'm forgiven by the Lord. He, he has forgiven me much. And so now I'm going to love much. If I'm struggling with loving Jesus, it may be that I've lost sight of how much he's forgiven me of. Because <laughs> when I have that fresh understanding of, wow, this is what I, I deserve. I want to go a little deeper for a moment. And, and this 
kind of is, gets to the heart of an issue. But we're, we're living in a culture and a society where we really have a hard time with the doctrine of hell, don't we? The teaching in Scripture that somebody is eternally separated from God and has eternal punishment. And when we think about that, that is heavy, isn't it? But remember that God is just. So it's just judgment for God to send a sinner to hell who's rejected his son. What I deserve is hell. That, that's what I deserve. When I look at a holy God and I look at my sin, it's absolutely just for God to say, Eric, because of your sin, you have eternal punishment, eternal separation from me. Is it the judge's fault who holds somebody accountable for speeding? Is it the police officer's fault for holding someone accountable for drinking and driving? It's like, no, you did this, and so I'm holding you accountable for it. So God's not unjust and holding us accountable for our sin. But thankfully, he's gracious. Thankfully, he sent his son to pay the price for sin, that as I believe, then God freely gives grace. He freely gives forgiveness. And what's so amazing about the gospel, as soon as we trust Christ for salvation, turning from sin, asking him to be the Lord of our life, he dumps on us complete forgiveness. We're justified. We're declared righteous by God. So you're not ever more forgiven by God or less forgiven by God once you're a believer. Once you're a believer, you're totally forgiven 100% past, present, and future. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's this tremendous gift of grace because that's the power of the blood of Jesus. And so when we understand that, we go, wow, I really deserve hell. That's my just punishment for my sin. But instead, Jesus paid the price and has freely forgiven all my sin. I've been forgiven much, so now I'm going to love much responding to that unconditional love that comes uh, from the Lord. And we see that this comes from her heart of faith in verse 49 and 50. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They understand he's claiming to be God by forgiving sins. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman trusts Jesus And her worship is an expression of her faith. It's an expression of knowing that Jesus can forgive my sins. Now, what's interesting is Simon, the Pharisee, is just as big a sinner as this woman. He just doesn't realize it, right? He's just as much in need of the forgiveness of God and the grace of God. So I want us to get a little bit of a challenge tonight from God's word. When was the last time that you really expressed your love to Jesus? You're like, I just want to get, I just want to get a little bit creative. This woman literally stepped out of the box, didn't she? To pour the fragrant oil. She's not invited to the Pharisee's house. I would imagine that this is not very easy to get the courage to be like, I'm just going to bust in on the Pharisee. He's having a meeting with Jesus, but she sees an opportunity. And not that there's anything wrong with this. Maybe there is, but sometimes our relationship with the Lord can get to a place where it's kind of mundane. And it's important to have discipline. 
but to think, okay, Lord, I do love you, and I want to be creative in how I express that love to you. This takes place in marriage, right? For those of you that are married, is, is sometimes you just want to express to your spouse how much they mean to you, so you're like, I got to come up with something creative. I got to come up with something that's a little bit out of the box. I, I want my heart to, to come across here. As a parent, there's times where you're like, man, I just, I just want my kids to know that I love them. So Lord, would you show me a way that I could be creative to be able to show that? But how about to Jesus? Like, Jesus, I, I want to express my love to you. And it might be in such a way where those around you are like ridiculing your worship. Where they're like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't do that. And as we come together, I think that you've been noticing and feeling it. God's moving in our church in this area of worship, of singing to the Lord. To come in Wednesday nights on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. A week from tonight, we're going to have our night of prayer and worship and be like, Jesus, I'm just ready to worship you. I, I want to sing to you because I want to express my love to you because you've forgiven me. I'm going to get on my knees before you. You know, what's up with raising our hands uh, to the Lord? Like, man, that seems too Pentecostal. That seems too, too crazy. Like, I'm, I'm going to worship from down here. Amen. You can, you know. Like, the, it's an issue of the heart. You know, sometimes in worship, my hands are in my pockets. Sometimes I, I sit down. But then there's other times where it's like, man, I want to lift my hands to the Lord. Because he's so good. And he's my dad. And I want to express my love to him. Or I'm going to, I'm going to get on my knees and express my, my love to him. Maybe part of the creativity is some generosity. You know, it's, it's like, Lord, I want to express my love to you in giving. And so, Lord, would you show me a way where I can give financially or I can give of time or, or give of, of talents? Or, or maybe it's getting up a little bit early just to spend a little bit of extra time with the Lord. But you know what the cool thing is? Is I don't think it's going to be the same for any one of us. Amen. It's like, this is personal between me and Jesus, and, and I just want to express this to Christ. And I want to live a life where worship is vibrant in, in my life. And, and that's the expression of faith. And I think it's cool to express faith. It's like, okay, I do have faith. I do love Jesus, but I want to express it. I want to, in my words, in my actions, I want to declare to Jesus, Jesus, I love you. So let's stand, let's pray, let's enter into worship, let's enter into communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you do love us. We, we thank you for the gospel, that you died for us while we were still sinners. I think I don't understand the weight of my sin. I don't understand the seriousness of my sin. That I really do deserve hell to be eternally separated from you. But instead, you've given me the opposite of what I deserve. You've given me your only begotten son. So may we understand your love for us in a greater way. And would you lead us to just express our faith, just like this woman that we've read in the Gospels. And Lord, in the prisons of life, and the difficulties of life, as our faith does struggle, would you help us? Would you help those tonight that are just right in the crucible of a real challenge, of a real difficulty? 
Help us to be like the centurion where we just trust your word. You've said it, your character is proven, so we choose to trust you. Would you meet us in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.